Thanks so much for joining us for the latest episode of Taking the Complex and Making It Simple, the Merlin Wealth Management Educational Podcast. Join us as Michael Merlin, founder of Merlin Wealth Management, and various friends and experts break down complicated financial topics to make them easy to understand. If you'd like more information about Merlin Wealth Management, please visit our website at rcm.rocco.com forward slash Merlin. And with that, here's founder of Merlin Wealth Management and private wealth advisor at Rockefeller Capital Management, Michael Merlin. Thanks, Tom, and uh, welcome everyone to another episode of Taking the Complex and Making It Simple, the Merlin Wealth Management Podcast. Uh, today, we are going to focus on our uh, Gen Z uh, clients and, and listeners. Uh, today's conversation is based around uh, Gen Z and, and talking through things that we, we believe are, are on the minds of our Gen Z clients and friends. And uh, some of the financial uh, challenges that they may be facing and some of the uniqueness of their particular situations and how that might play into their decision-making, whether it's about financial priorities, spending, savings, and investing. Um, I read an article kind of leading up to this podcast. Uh, it was a study done by Bank of America um, that basically said that Gen Z was going to be the most disruptive generation ever from an economic standpoint. They predict, Bank of America predicted that Gen Z's economic power was going to be the fastest growing across all generational cohorts. Um, they expect that Gen Z's uh, income will increase fivefold by 2030 to over $33 trillion, um, which will account for a quarter of global income. At that point, it will surpass millennials. So talking about a generation that's going to have a lot of financial uh, leverage. Um, in addition to that, as we all you know, as we've written about and talked about a lot, um, the great wealth transfer that we talk about going from baby boomers and the silent generation, which was the generation before baby boomers, you know that those funds are now sitting at around seventy eight trillion dollars of wealth. So in addition to having a lot of buying power and consumer power, um, Gen Z will also directly or indirectly be inheriting an incredible amount of wealth. So, you know, all of that plays into a really unique situation. And, and today I'm, I'm really excited to be joined um, by Thomas Patton, who is a private advisor uh, for the Merlin Wealth Management team um, in our high net worth business. Um, Thomas, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Really excited uh, to be here. Uh, so Th Thomas, uh, being a Gen Zer, uh, can, uh, can relate um, to some of these uh, to some of these issues. Um, and he uh, he was actually the impetus behind uh, doing this podcast, which I thought was a great idea um, to reach out to our uh, our our Gen Z uh, listening population to kind of talk through some of the, some of these items that are specific to them. So, Thomas, why don't, why don't you start out by talking about um, you know for Gen Z uh, for Gen Z clients and and and, and our Gen Z listeners uh, financial priorities. You know what what should what should they be thinking about kind of at this early stage? You know probably in a first job, maybe, maybe, you know, thinking about homes and potentially starting families, et cetera. And there's a lot of things obviously that, that play into that, but why don't we talk about priorities, financial priorities first? Yeah, sure. So when we think about financial priorities, there's four pillars um, that we like to go on. Um, and so the first one would be high interest debt. The second would be an emergency fund, establishing an emergency fund. Third is savings, and then fourth is investment. And that's that's kind of chronologically how you like to think about it. So the first thing that you need to take care of financially on your financial priority list is high interest debt. 
So this is, you know, this is your credit card debt. This is any, any aggressive form of debt um, and, and loan that isn't providing an advantage such as a tax advantage that, you know, a mortgage or a student loan um, would provide because you, you get tax deductions on mortgage loan interest and student loan interest. But for credit card debt and these more aggressive forms of debt, there's no advantage there. So, you know, um, so that should certainly be the first thing on your list is taking care of the high interest debt and knocking that, knocking that out. Um, from there, the second thing, once you've knocked out your high interest debt, you want to go into your emergency fund. You want to establish an emergency fund or what some people call a rainy day fund. You know, things happen. Unfortunately, people lose jobs. There are large unforeseen expenses that could happen, whether that be medical, you know, maybe your house floods, your AC goes out. Um, and so you, you just don't plan for those. And these are one-time expenses, but for someone who you know, might be stretching themselves financially, um, these things kind of add up. So you start using your credit card to pay for these additional costs, these one-time expenses. And then, you know, this is just adding to the most aggressive form of debt that we talked about and further exacerbating your financial problem. So, so with that, to establish this emergency fund, you want to determine how much this, this emergency fund should be. And, and, Conservatively, we'd like to say you want to establish an emergency fund that's six months of monthly expenses, three to six months, six months on the most conservative end. Um, and in order to do that, you, you have to understand and you have to determine your spending habits and to find your monthly spend. So you'll take, there's two components to that. There's a fixed expense component. So that's, that's your rent or your mortgage or your utilities, you know, insurance, transportation costs, or those debt payments that you, that we spoke about earlier, those things that you have to pay, those things that are recurring. And then there's also the, you know, the variable expenses, and these are irregular and discretionary types of expenses. You know, that's entertainment, going out to restaurants, going shopping, going um, on a vacation or traveling. So you take your fixed expenses, and then you add the average of your variable expenses, and that kind of helps you understand your spending habits. So one thing that we, we say to do is to take your fixed expenses and then you know, take the past six months of credit card bills and take that average monthly spend, and that's gonna give you your, your monthly spend. So once you have your singular monthly spend multiply it by six, and that's how large your emergency fund should be. So, Thomas, that's that's some great information about you know kind of where where our Gen Z clients should be starting out, right? So, graduate from school, maybe you've got some credit card debt, maybe you have some student loans. Try to get some of those non-deductible interest loans paid off. You know, figure out a budgeting framework, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but get a budgeting framework in place, find a way to start saving uh, and creating that emergency fund. And so, you know, once that emergency fund is created, obviously there's an opportunity for additional savings. So I think that's obviously where an investment plan would come into play. Agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so once you've knocked out the high interest debt and once you've established your emergency fund, you know, then you can start saving and then ultimately investing. So, um, you know, ideally 
saving and investing are done in tandem. Obviously this gets easier as your income increases, but it's extremely important to start early. You know, one thing that I thought was fascinating that you said in a prior podcast was that, you know, if you start investing $5,000 a year when you're 20 versus $5,000 a year when you're 30, by the time that you reach age 60, given a 7% return, you've made over $500,000 more just by investing $5,000 for those 10 prior years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just extremely important to start early with your savings um, and your Absolutely. investment. Yeah, no, I, I, look, I, I think that's a huge, you know, we, we always talk about building good financial habits. I think a big takeaway from your list of priorities, which I think are spot on, is it really is the way to, to start to create good financial habits, right? Think through the kind of, when you're going to borrow money, think through how you're going to do that. Do it in a way where that interest can be deducted and, you know, that it can work to your advantage. Um, make sure you've got those rainy day funds set aside. Savings and investment plans should be started as early as possible and should be systematic. You know, I think one of our, one of the, one of the, the, the pillars or the tenants of the Merlin investment, Merlin Wealth Management Investment Discipline is that you should put money in your, you should be systematically putting money into your investments the same way that you annually pay your taxes or you annually pay your life insurance premiums. That's how habitual putting money into your investment plan, your retirement plan, your savings plan should be. So, so I know we're going to talk a little bit more about saving and investing as we, as we progress, but, but let's talk about spending, right? Obviously, uh, at this stage, you know, there's a lot of spending that needs to occur, right? That you, there, obviously, you're you're living. You know, if you have a home, you're you're maintaining that home. If you have children, you're helping to you know, you're taking care of those children. Um, and there are obviously a lot of ways to spend, right? And so, you know, I, I and, and and this is a very, in my opinion, this is a very personal, um, this is a very personal pillar, right? People, some people have very, very specific views about what they, how they spend, whether they use credit cards or don't use credit cards, whether they use a debit card, because that may be easy from a processing standpoint, but they know the money's coming out of their checking account. So they don't run the risk of spending money they don't have. And then, I mean, we've even seen people who literally like put money in different accounts based on what it's supposed to go for to try to really be specific about um, making sure that they don't kind of go outside of a boundary when it comes to that. So, you know, one of the things to me that's the most important, and I know this is going a little out of, out of sequence for, you know, for, for what we talked about, but um, clearly when it, what ties in with spending is budgeting. So why not spend a few, spend a few minutes talking about the, t you know, spending, whether you use cash, debit cards, credit cards, et cetera, and kind of how to think that, think about those, some of the things that might, people may not think about. And then, after that, why don't you dive into some, maybe some good best practices when it comes to budgeting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so just from like a very rudimentary standpoint, when you think about spending, you know, you have, you've got three options there. You've got cash. And then as you mentioned, debit cards and credit cards, and everyone knows about cash, but I kind of wanted to dive in just a little bit on the difference between a debit card and a credit card. And this, this might seem like something that everybody knows, but I just want to touch on it just quickly. So obviously with a debit card, you know, you've got a bank account linked to your debit card and money is deducted from this at the time of purchase. 
unfortunately, this, this isn't going to help build credit. Um, but a positive there is that there's no interest charge on outstanding balances that you might have like it, like it would be on a credit card. Um, probably the biggest thing that I would say when I'm comparing credit cards to debit cards is, is in reference to the fraud that can happen um, with the two. So unfortunately with a debit card, although it, it makes sense from like a process standpoint, don't spend more than you have. Uh, a big disadvantage there is how um, exposed you are to fraud. So fraud is not, fraud liability for a debit card is not limited where it is uh, for a credit card. Um, and just touch on credit cards. Um, obviously you just, you borrow money to make purchases and then you repay it, you repay that later. And this helps build credit. Um, but if you're not paying off your bills, you're getting charged interest. Um, and there's also fees associated with, you know, you know, return payments, balance transfers, cash advances, foreign transaction fees, like if you're traveling, things like that. So um, all of those things need to be, you know, considered when you're trying to decide between a credit card and a debit card. And I think, I think obviously people understand um, debit cards. It's, it's not very complex, but I just want to touch more on credit cards um, because we seem to get this question a lot from our younger clients. Um, and so I just want to touch on first like credit scores and then what determines a credit score. And with that, so it's, so it's your credit score is extremely important part of your financial health. A good credit score can unlock savings and, and benefits such as, you know, access to loans that you might need. Um, and so to understand that you have to have, um, you know, you've got like six different pillars that help determine your credit score. You've got payment history, amount owed, credit utilization, credit mix, credit age, and new credit. And all those are pretty self-explanatory, um, but it's, it's just good to know what is affecting your credit score. And as far as credit scores go, um, anything above 580 is considered fair, below that's very poor. Um, and then excellent perfect score is 850. So that kind of covers, you know, credit cards on a whole. Yeah, I, you know, I, I know that um, I looked and, and I know that there, there's that Gen Z, at least from the, the data, look like the, that it is a very financially responsible generation. They, they, while, while the majority of the generation is what, you know, I guess what they call credit active, meaning that they use credit cards, et cetera. I think the, the, the number that I read was that the, the, um, the average credit score for Gen Z individuals is like 661 or higher. So using your scale, obviously that's above fair. Um, so probably in the good, good to you know good to good plus range mm -hmm. so you know clearly shows some some at least an understanding of how to use credit um but also how to be responsible with that credit and i think that's really what it boils down to right is i think credit is a great tool but you have to be responsible when you use it Absolutely. Um, so let's shift to to budgeting when we, you're talking about responsibility obviously one of the one of the main responsibilities when you become financially independent is figuring out how to budget. So are there some good tools um, that we should be informing people about as far as budgeting is concerned? I know there's a lot of different apps and whatnot. Is, is there anything that you that you tend to like better than, than something else? 
when you think about budgeting, I think there's a good um, kind of rule of thumb that is often referenced, and that's the 50-30-20 ratio, which is, you know, 50% of your income should pay for needs, 30% should be wants, and then the 20% should be savings. And, and these, these apps help you identify and help you understand where your expenses are going to. Um, and so it, it kind of gives you a good picture um, of your financial situation um, from a zoomed out perspective. So you understand um, exactly where you are. That's great. Um, so I, I think that's a great rule. I think that 50, 30, 20 rule is a great rule. I remember speaking at a, uh, at a, uh, at a parent career day at my kid's elementary school, you know, a long time ago, and we were teaching the kids even in fifth grade about sort of spend, save, and, you know, kind of give to charity or, you know, similar to sort of the needs, wants, and savings. So th that's, that's a great rule of thumb. Um, look, I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't spend a few minutes talking about investing. I mean, obviously that's a big part of what we do um, here at Merlin Wealth Management. We, we help clients obviously with the strategic side, we help them, um, you know, get organized financially. We obviously help them with planning techniques around state planning, tax planning, financial planning, retirement planning, but, you know, obviously after doing all this hard work, you know, I, I think that's sort of the way I think about it, right, is is being disciplined to pay off debt, creating good financial habits, saving, uh, you know, being smart about budgeting, et cetera. You know, the fun part is getting to, to invest. So, you know, it's for our, for our clients who are starting out in the investment side, you know, do you have some advice for them as far as, you know, how to, how to begin? Um, clearly, in some cases, the first exposure they're going to get to investing is in like a 401k with their company where they work. Um, and so do you want to just talk through some of the, some of the first exposures to investing and some of the things they should be thinking about? Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, I think just, just to, to start there. So I think that it's very important when you're starting out investing to to define your investment goals and try to understand your short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals. So consider a short-term goal as something like a vacation, whereas a, a medium-term goal is, you know, it's going to be a house down payment. And then a long-term goal is, is retirement and, you know, hopefully building legacy wealth. And, and as you touched on with the retirement aspect, like you said, a 401k with an employer is one of your first exposure, like is, is when you're first exposed to investing. Um, and so a 401k is just an em employer-sponsored retirement savings plan. Um, it gives employees a tax break on the money that they contribute. And one thing that's, that you touched on earlier, which I think is is ties into 401ks as well, is it's it, its contributions are automatically withdrawn from the employer's paycheck. So, so this is, this is just like a, it's, it's systematic. Like you said, it's, it's something called dollar cost averaging, which takes the emotion out of investing. Um, and so this, this is just another aspect of the 401k. And, and one thing that is extremely important with a 401k is to take advantage of the match. Not all employers offer matches, but, um, is extremely important to take advantage of the max if your employer does so. 
Um, you know, you might be, you might have a situation where you're kind of tight on funds. And so I would say, uh, just take advantage of the max completely. Say if it's 4%, contribute 4% because that's free money. And, and if it's necessary to, to use the, your paycheck elsewhere, then do that. But as I've said repeatedly, um, the match is extremely um, integral to your financial picture. Um, and so, so that, so the 401k there is, is initially was, is the first exposure that, you know, our clients, our younger generation has to investing. There's also other options for retirement, long-term investing. You know, there's Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs. Um, the, one of the most important ones that I'll, I'll touch on is the Roth IRA because it's, it's after tax dollars, but it grows tax-free and you can pull it out tax-free once you're past retirement age. Um, and so this grows tax-free for the rest of your life. Um, and there are stipulations that are tied to a Roth, such as like the max contribution is $6,500 for 2023. Um, and you have to stay below a certain income threshold, which I think is currently 138,000. Um, but again, this is just an extremely useful tool, especially for our younger generation to take advantage of as they begin their investment um, investment career. That's great. Uh, and I, I think the most important, uh, one of the most important tenets of what you just said, obviously the 401k is a great tool. It creates, for, for the two reasons you mentioned, one, it creates, as we were talking about before, a good financial habit, right? That money just gets systematically taken out. You don't have to think about it. You, to some extent, you forget about it and therefore, you know, it's an easy way to accumulate wealth. Um, and then that match is sort of like uh, jet fuel, if you will. You know, it's just it's just juicing your, um, you know, your compounding because it's, they're just putting, the employer is putting money in, uh, you know, just, just to reward uh, your good decision, you know, your good decision-making to an extent. Um, you know, the other thing, obviously, that I think is the most important that thing that you mentioned is creating, you know, financial or investment goals and objectives, right? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, there are a lot of ways to invest. You know, most of our uh, of our Gen Z younger clients can obviously take a very long-term view. Uh, they may have some short-term goals, like you said, a vacation or a new car or something like that, um, which obviously can be planned for separately. But, you know, over the long-term, you know, if the goal is to uh, create wealth, to get to a point where you can retire, to uh, you know, do some things later in life, whatever the case may be. You have a, obviously a very long-term time horizon. And, you know, as, as most of the great investors uh, in history will tell you, that one of the greatest tools of an investor is time. Uh, and so, you know, our tenant here at Merle Wealth Management has been pretty simple, which is let time do its thing, be patient, and own the highest of highest quality assets, right? So, uh, and, and if you can do that, I think you're set. You're setting yourself up for success. So, you know, to me, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the the key tenants that kind of drive to that last point are a Thomas. To your point, uh, creating good financial habits at the outset. B being real smart about and disciplined about how you save, uh, and then ultimately using obviously your 50, 30, 20 rule is a great rule for that. Again, establishing a good habit. And then, you know, kind of getting to the fun part, which is being able to invest and, and again, start with a good habit by, by, by contributing your 401k. And then uh, let us help you learn 
about you know the the, the different asset classes, the different uh, risk rewards of different types of asset classes, and then how to put all those things together into a very uh, dynamic long-term investment plan. Yeah. Uh, any uh, any parting comments, Thomas? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you know, the simple answer would be, you know, spend less than you make um, and live live within, live beneath your means. And then also, if you have a financial professional that you can lean on, such as Merlin Wealth Management, do so. Like we're here to educate you and we're here to hold your hand and walk you through these these large, you know, large expenses, large decisions that you have to make in your in your life. I'd be remiss not to say that you should you should utilize if you have these options available, do so. Yeah. Oh, I, I like to I like to sum it up by saying it's it's the it's the it's the combination if you will it's the combination of intent and intention right so intent being do all the things we talked about today on this podcast be financially disciplined etc and then intention as far as how to execute on all those things partner with with an with an expert partner with an advisor who can kind of help make sure that you you are able to execute on your intention so with that, uh, I will uh, close another uh, another episode of Taking the Complex and Making It Simple. Thank you for uh, listening. I uh, hope it's been informative, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Taking the Complex and Making It Simple, the Merlin Wealth Management Educational Podcast. For more information on Merlin Wealth Management, please visit our website at rcm.rocco.com forward slash Merlin. Please stay tuned for an important legal disclaimer. This recording is provided for informational purposes only and is not an offer to buy or sell or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or to participate in any investment strategy and should not be interpreted to constitute a recommendation with respect to any security or investment plan. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the presenters as of the date of this recording may not be current and are subject to change and are general in nature. Rockefeller Capital Management has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Rockefeller Capital Management and may differ from the views and opinions of other departments or divisions of Rockefeller Capital Management and its affiliates. Rockefeller Capital Management is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. The information is not individualized. You should review any planned financial transactions or arrangement that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with your personal professional advisors. Rockefeller Capital Management does not guarantee the accuracy or reliability of the information provided in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. No investment strategy can guarantee profit or protection from loss. Future results may vary substantially from past performance. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. This recording may not be copied, reproduced, or distributed in whole or in part for any purpose without prior written consent. Rockefeller Capital Management is the marketing name of Rockefeller Capital Management LP and its affiliates. Merlin Wealth Management is part of Rockefeller Financial LLC, a broker-dealer and investment advisor duly registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, Member Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Securities Investor Protection Corporation. The registrations and memberships mentioned in no way imply the SEC has endorsed the entities, products, or services discussed herein. Additional information is available upon request.